Welcome to the Michigan Wild Podcast. We're just here walking around. We're going to go set a tree stand. Don't worry, my dad's weird. He never shot a huge buck before. I just shot a freaking big buck. that one. Oh, you hit him. Go get that one, Henry. Right here. Welcome to another episode of Michigan Wild. The Roosevelt household is doing good, even with this uh, little snowmageddon we got going on. It's uh, We're kind of in the middle of it right now. We had a pretty good wave of it. Somehow we did not lose power this week or uh, even last night. Crazy winds, crazy snow. We are doing good, thankfully, because I have the approach of why do I want a generator? Why do I want any of this stuff? Because if I have one sitting at the house, I'm just going to lose power. So I always take the approach of, uh, yeah, if I need it, I'll go get one. Um, you know, I got access to some, so it makes it a little easier. So I crossed my fingers and was like, let's see what happens. And yep, we weathered the first wave of this. Uh, supposed to have a little bit more tomorrow and temperature's going to start dipping. So hopefully, uh, a lot of that, uh, the winds and all that keeps, keeps us having power. So no, looking, uh, looking forward to, uh, this upcoming, uh, week, <laughs> With the cool the cool down that we have, we've been pretty spoiled so far this uh, this winter. But uh, yeah, we uh, this week's episode is with uh, Brian Broderick. He is the owner of Day Six uh, Gear, and that's uh, they have arrows, broadheads, and uh, a knife. Um, I think is like their three main things. They have some. I'm, I'm sure they have some logo and wear and stuff like that, but. You know, it was a little bit of a quicker episode I did with him. He He's a busy dude, and he kind of fit me into a schedule for him, which I appreciate it because we're kind of different time zones. He lives out in Wyoming now, but, no, it's uh, it was a – I really enjoy talking with him. He's – I mean, if you guys listen to this episode and you like what you, like you, you know, you heard and are interested, I mean, he's been on quite a few different podcasts over the years. Um, that's, that's where I first heard him, you know, five years ago maybe, four years ago, somewhere in there. And he was the first uh, guy I heard talk about some things that I think is a lot more common now. I think you hear it more often uh, the last couple of years than we had previously because, you know, like I think he said he's 50 years old. So he's he's been a serious archer, you know, his whole life. I mean, he, he talked about uh, how when he was playing baseball or football, how he'd get in trouble because he was playing hooky to go chase, you know, whitetails or shoot some hogs and do that kind of stuff growing up in Alabama. And it sounds like he he ran the gauntlet around the the neighborhood and had access all over and he uh, he was no stranger to running arrows through things you know back then and you know so he like my dad kind of had that that approach back then you know bows were not near as fast so it was heavy setups a lot more traditional guys out there so I think that kind of was like a blend um, back then with you know the big aluminum arrows and the fixed big fixed blade broadheads and that kind of thing and then you know kind of when I when I started growing up you know I had the you know I remember getting bows let off like my first bow I used had no let off I used one of my dad's old bows and 
yeah, it was 60 pounds or something like that, maybe 65 with no let off. And then I ended up getting a, uh, I'm trying to think he had like a PSC bow that had let off. And I remember the first time I pulled that back and I was like, Oh, this is amazing. And then, uh, I had aluminum arrows at the time. And then I remember, you know, breaking them or bending them. And I was, I uh, got the sportsman's guide. If yeah, sportsman's guide, uh, newsletter in the mail or magazine. And they had carbon express, uh, arrows. I'm pretty sure they're carbon express. And I remember I bought them. I saved up my money and bought, you know, six of them. And I, would shoot like three blade fixed blades of some sort, either Thunderheads or Muzzies or, you know, I think I used, um, Steel Force was another broadhead I used as a kid growing up. And, you know, the deer I did, you know, I struggled to kill a deer the first few years of bow hunting, but like every time I did hit a deer, I, other than a shoulder shot, I mean, I never shooting through a doe before I shot my first couple deer with, um, with my bow and I shot those with aluminum, you know, big aluminum arrow. I never, their camel came from Gander Mountain. And they had a white fletching, white and orange fletchings. And, yeah, the first few deer I shot, I killed with those uh, arrows. But then that was right in the middle of the carbon kind of craze, I, I feel like. And, you know, this is like early 2000s kind of. You know, I was 16 in 2006. So it was like somewhere in that time, that time frame. But, yeah, I ordered a set of those carbon arrows. And I remember shooting in the yard and just like, oh, my gosh, this is so crazy fast. Like, could even really comprehend it because I was always a one pin guy uh shot you know 120 yard pin and then I would just adjust accordingly to yardage and shoot in the backyard I was like this is amazing and then I remember I can't remember what I did but I remember shooting a broadhead and I can't remember if it was at a rabbit or a woodchuck or what it was but I remember shooting and watching my arrow just like go nowhere close to uh to good and didn't know why you know my dad didn't really know why kind of the thing because you know we always shot slow you know slow moving arrows slower compounds and at that time he was like full-on you know recurve guy so like he wasn't really in the know on some of these things so i i remember doing that and i do remember i i um had broke a few of those carbon arrows from either missing or i think i shot a couple deer maybe and you know uh broke them and then i ended up going to a a archery shop once i was uh, out of high school and had a job you know and I mean, a, a job I would, I never, when I was 12 or 13 year old, 13 years old, I worked for my dad and through the summer and it was like, I worked maybe three weeks, two weeks. He probably knows exactly what days it was, but it was one of those things where, yeah, dad, you owe me this much money. And then we, he took me somewhere and I bought arrows and uh, broadheads and I was like, yep, I'm done for the summer. And that might've been those uh, arrows from sports guy. That might've been how I got those, but but once I had like a job, I went to a pro shop and I actually bought a bow used from a guy. And it was a Hoyt bow. I cannot remember the the brand. I mean, it was a pretty well known bow during that time frame. And I got a I got that bow and tried shooting those arrows, and I could not group them. They were just, there was just too much too much speed for how weak those arrows were. I'm sure the spine was just way underspined. So I went to a, a pro shop, and they set me up with some carbon arrows. And uh, I was told to use mechanical broadheads because you know that's they'll fly good. They'll fly like field points. That was you know the big push and. So I bought some of the first variation of the rages. I don't know if it was the very first rage, but it was like their extreme, you know, chisel tip kind of a rage broadhead. And yeah, I remember that year I shot, you know, three does maybe. And uh, yeah, all sub 20 yard shots, broadside and arrow would go through them and huge hole, great blood trail. And, you know, but the broadhead was junk and the arrow was junk every time, either from the arrow, you know, 
hitting going through hitting the ground and then it would mushroom on the end or you know the deer would carry the arrow for a little bit break it off on a tree or you know snap it with their shoulders kind of a thing so i was like man what's going on with this like this is kind of annoying and i was like okay but it's working you know killing deer so fast forward a handful of years you know got a different bow kind of in there i'm kind of always been the guy that like every couple years i get a new bow and i got a bow i really enjoyed and i had the same rage broadheads that i had originally boxed out just by replacing blades for the when they went to break and um i had certain had those whatever arrows i think they were like maxima reds weight forward was the arrow and i did pretty good with those like that was a great setup but my bow ended up getting stolen so I ended up having to get all a whole new setup uh, the following year. I ended up using my my bow got stole like the twelfth of November, thirteenth of November. So that like that late season during, I still had a buck tag or two. I can't remember that year, but I was just I just used my recurve to finish that year out. So going to the next year, I bought a new the new latest and greatest like new bow. That was my first new bow I bought, um, and I just got set up with whatever arrows they recommended. And I was just like, these things are so fast and so flat shooting. I love it. I went to a, you know, a three pin or a single pin, but slider, you know, changed the range up a little bit. And I was like, man, I can, you know, I'm shooting 70 yards. This is awesome. And then the turmoil just started. That's when I just could not get any pass throughs. I mean, I shot a coyote and a doe on the same night off the ground. I shot the doe and I shot and I, I had a Luminoc and I remember telling my dad like after it happened I hit this deer and she like turned to go away but I hit her like into her body like in her ribs but I said it was the weirdest thing because I shot but my knock just like it like and it deflected is what I said and he was like okay he's like well you don't know he's like I'm sure you got it got through there and that uh that um like same night so I shot the doe and then like 20 minutes later coyote came the same path and I shot a coyote looking right at me boom hit it right square in the chest and he dropped right there and you know go up to that coyote and my arrow is not in the coyote but the broadhead was only in the the animal and the arrow had snapped off where the insert was for the broadhead like where it would screw in like man that's really weird and I go over to my arrow where the I had shot the doe and my arrow sticking straight in the ground so essentially like hit her and then just went boot deflected straight down and I was like, man, there's like no, there's like a little bit of blood, but not much. The doe didn't end up finding the doe. Um, and then like four days later, it was early in October. It was like right in the middle of like the October lull. I was sitting in this spot and, um, right before a storm system came through and had a nice 10 point, probably like he might've been three and a half year old back then, but I'm sure it was only a two year old 10 point, really short times, pretty wide would have been my biggest deer at the time. I mean, this is my early twenties and he, uh, this buck came through, worked a scrape, 18-yard shot, broadside. I put it right on his elbow, like right where the elbow crease is, like you want. Shot, and my arrow just made this huge, like weird noise. Like not like a shoulder hit sound, but like a it was the arrow cracking, essentially. It was just like it just destroyed the arrow. And I he ran away and I then stopped and like walked off after like 20 yards. And I was like, well, he's not. I did not hit him in the guts. I saw where I hit him right, right behind the shoulder in the crease, low, not high. And I was like, man, this is weird. And then me and Ashley were dating at the time. And, uh, she came back, we came back two or three hours later. It was pitch black. And I was like, well, let's look for blood and see, you know? And I was like, he was standing right in the scrape when I shot him. So we get to the scrape and, uh, she bends down. She's like, 
he was right here. And I was like, yeah. And she picks up and my broadhead is like in pieces. And it was a mechanical. And the ferrule or the insert of my arrow, this is before I had outsert system or anything like that. And uh, was just like a chunk of my broadhead just chilling there and pieces of my arrow. And then, yeah, you go 30 yards and there's the rest of my arrow and it's just shattered. And I was just like, what is like, I'm 30 inch draw length, you know, I've always shot a 70 pound bow. And a lot of times those bows come at like 72 to 74 pounds, somewhere in there. I always have them cranked down and I am just, that's three shots in like five days where I had like zero penetration. So then I was like, okay, it's a broadhead problem. So then I went to a fixed blade broadhead and then I think I shot maybe a doe that year. No, I might've shot a buck that year. And it was like, it was a, it was a close shot and I got, went through the ribs at like 12 yards and, um, you know, it was, it was awesome. Like, this is great. Like fixed blades are the pro is is the answer to my problem, you know? And then, you know, the next year did not matter if I hit a buck in, uh, I think I actually hit a buck in Illinois that next year, um, 20 yard shot, slightly quartering away, went through and got like no penetration, like did not hit shoulder, like went in it might have it was probably a little high but it was really odd because i remember shooting him and i was like my arrow just died it was like my arrow hit him and just like it didn't it just like hit a brick wall uh the way that knock went it just seemed weird i was really i was not very confident and so then like that that's all i'm like going through all this turmoil and like really disappointed but you know i'm shooting targets great i mean i can i can group with the best of them you know like i'm not a professional by any means but like super accurate like really confident i mean sniping rabbits out in the yard doing those kind of things like and then deer season comes along and i hit the deer and just like not what you want to see so when i heard brian talk the first couple times i was i was like okay i'm invested in this i need to do something different i really liked his approach to we don't care we're you know he's a smaller guy we don't care about cutting any corners we're gonna have a very well-built system because I need something that I can trust and I'm building this because I don't, I can't find anything out there. I like, so I'm going to make my own. And then a byproduct of that is we'll sell them too and see what happens. And yeah, I bought those first, you know, six arrows from uh, him. And like, I, I mean, I have only broke two of them and uh, the one, actually I might've only broke one. I've only broke one. Um, and that was me breaking it. Uh, I, I skipped an arrow off top of my target and buried it into a, my jam of my door going into my barn. And, uh, I could not pull that thing out. And I was kind of frustrated cause I had missed a doe like the night before my sight was all messed up cause I was stupid and, uh, tried pulling it in a pine tree and a hanging hunt and completely jacked my housing all up and, you know, jacked up the gears kind of in my sight. So out of frustration, I just snapped that thing. And, uh, it took actually quite a bit of force for me to snap it off at the insert, like, in the jam and that's the only one i broke and uh so i've those have been great arrows and i've shot deer with them and been super happy and then like we talk about in this podcast i i this year i got a new bow and i was like you know what it'd be so cool to have two you know arrow setups that can shoot far you know shoot out of my bow i can have a you know my heavy arrow for you know whitetail hunting and then if i do go out you know because I, there was a possibility I was going to go west and maybe mule deer hunt or whitetail hunt out there. And I was like, you know, it'd be nice to be able to shoot a little farther, blah, blah, blah. Maybe I'll do tack. Like, let's try doing like a, you know, 500 and sub 500 grain arrow, see how it works. Uh, there was a deal running on a different brand of arrows. I'm not going to say the, the name of the arrows because like, I don't really think it's, it's, I mean, I, I think it's a good arrow. It's just not the same as day six. And like, I feel like I got spoiled with those arrows, but 
you know, they're on sale. I was like, you know, I'm going to buy a dozen. I was like, why not? Shot them. My bow seemed to like them. You know, I, I just shot them with field points. They, you know, I felt like everything, my other arrows are shooting great out of it. I just was like, I'm going to do this so I can shoot farther and kind of got into that, you know, that, uh, that aspect. I was like, I want to shoot, you know, 60 to hundred yards better, you know, that kind of a thing. And spent a lot of time doing that. Well, then when crunch time came, you know, you, like I said, I've, I've, I've said this before, like I would, I would shoot broadheads, like I would shoot broadheads, you know, anywhere from 20 yards to 50 yards, just depending on the day I had three or four targets set up. And I would, you know, do those shots part of my, every night if I shot in the morning, I would try to shoot one broadhead and field points and everything seemed, you know, good, uh, until threw some wind into the equation and my arrows just, you know, flew funky. Cause I didn't take the time paper tune and I paper tuned after I had that. And I was like, yep, these arrows are not, you know, tuned to my bow or maybe, um, you know, and that was, could have been something I did wrong, you know, because they're not as forgiving. Like, uh, Brian talked about that too, in this episode. And I, then I ended up shooting, I you know I shot a lot of arrows this year at deer. Like, yes, I did kill two bucks, you know, my bow, which was awesome. But like the one, um, one arrow was a complete pass through. I shot a doe, a complete pass through, liked what I saw those two. But then like some of my misses, um, and then I had shot at my buck a second time because he wasn't, he, even though I hit him great, you know, sliced the heart, rutted up buck, you know, I had opportunity to sneak up on him because of the, in the rain and, you know, trying to dispatch him quickly. And I took a shot and it, it missed him and I hit a dead tree, you know, and a deadfall. And, uh, but like seeing those, these arrows that we know were, you know, hitting the dirt or hitting like a tree, they just like are not the same structural integrity. I don't feel like, and I don't know the technic technology behind like designing, but talking to Brian here, how he goes through it. It's like, I understand what he's saying because I have seen arrows from friends and what I've shot, you know, a similar outsert like system. And the weak point is where the outsert meets the arrow. And even with deer that I, I shot my second buck, you know, 14 yard shot, did not get a pass through, hit a couple bones and the arrow, the broadhead and the, the outsert system was lodged in the deer poking through the skin, but the arrow just completely shatters behind it. And, you know, physics of an arrow and here always talks, you know, I want in that complete system. It makes sense because all the energy is in the arrow and it's going to break at the weakest point. I mean, that's how you build things. And, uh, so there's a lot of that to go into it. And, and I'm not saying any of this stuff because I feel like I'm trying to like, like I'm not trying to say that I know everything and that day six is the only, the only option. I just have had great luck and I feel like I could help anyone else who's maybe struggled with some of the things that I've struggled with and, you know, question what's going on. Maybe give day six a try. Like I, I think that, uh, I mean, it's, there's a lot that can go wrong well, your white tail hunting and, you know, us as hunters like to sometimes find something to blame, you know, just to, you know, cope with what happened maybe or however it went. But if you're not set up to succeed from, you know, from your bow being tuned to adequate arrow weight to what you have screwed on the front of your arrow that does the killing, um, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. And I think uh, it's something to look into. And, you know, like I said, we talked about this, you know, you get the arrows at day six and they, uh, they come and you have to epoxy the outserts into them. And I mean, that's simple. Like I, I've done it for myself. I've done it for my brother-in-law. I've done it for my cousin. Like they come in, it's kind of fun to do it a little bit. You know, you can do that. And there's all sorts of, you know, information he has on the website. You could look into, he's done a couple of write-ups, you know, talking about their approach and how they look at the market and how they 
they handle business as their business and uh yeah I'm, I'm all about it i like it a lot so yeah hopefully you guys enjoy the episode i did with him uh learn something and maybe give day six an opportunity to maybe have some of your business and then i mean talking about his broadheads too like what a great little broadhead you know it's it's a fixed blade you know stainless steel hard hard broadhead i have i bought six broadheads the first time i bought them and i have five still and one of them is in a tree uh that's that's another arrow i didn't even tell him about that i had one of the first year i used a thumb button i switched that you know two or three years ago and uh I always like to pull my bow back when I'm in the stand, you know, kind of a thing and, you know, see how you feel. I'm sure a lot of guys do that. And, uh, I was, I was sitting there and it was a new spot and I pulled back and I was like, Oh, I like this. This is good. And I just lowered down and went to go, um, you know, you know, let down and my hand caught my bino harness and I had my thumb still close to the trigger. This is like the first hunt of the year and, you know, boom, hit the trigger and choom, sends the arrow, you know, 20 feet up into a tree and uh or not 20 feet up but 20 feet out into a tree you know six or seven feet off the ground and i was like you've got to be kidding me and uh i laughed and you know i unscrewed that arrow from the broadhead and i still use that arrow i actually might have shot a deer with that arrow too later um because i always marked all my arrows like my you know one one through five or one through four however many arrows in my quiver you know for my favorite arrow kind of a thing and that was my number one arrow and i ended up still using that i shot i'm I'm fairly confident i shot a doe with it later that year um great i mean it buried right into a tree and that you know if i need that broad if i get desperate i can go get that out of the tree but it's one of those heights where it's like ah it's kind of a pain to get out i could just reach the arrow and i unscrewed it and used it but yeah that's i mean that's that's what i'm talking about that arrow is a very that system is a very stout strong system and um you still have to come still comes on the archer you know making the shot and uh, taking the right shot and that kind of thing but it's a it's just it's great to have that and i've seen i've seen things that are less abusive than that and the arrows don't hold up so it could be a fluke could be whatever it is but you know that's what happens so but uh yeah and then just kind of wrap up this intro here uh, we had a great rabbit hunt uh, last weekend. It was awesome getting together with the guys. Uh, running dogs ran great. Ran a lot of rabbits. Uh, um, good, good chases. Good, good all around fun. Uh, and um, and I, my cheeks hurt from smiling so much. It was a good time. And we are gonna hit it up tomorrow. Uh, hopefully at some point, uh, even if the weather is a little cold, we're gonna still power through for maybe a little bit. See how the dogs do going through the snow. But we've already been talking about that. That's gonna be really fun. And, uh, <clears throat> I think, uh, I think I'm going to bring the 410. I brought the pistol last week and cause we kind of the first couple times of the year, we, like I said, we let the dogs kind of do their thing, but they, they were hammering so good that I think it'd be totally fine if we end up shooting a few, um, a few more. We only shot one last weekend, but yeah, I think I'll bring the old 410 out see what can happen. Getting pretty pumped. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to be treading through the snow and one gives me a good opportunity, I'll probably take advantage of it or at least try to, there's a lot of missing and rabbit hunting. So, yeah, that's kind of looking forward to that. Uh, what else I want to touch base on? Oh, I grabbed my last trail camera that was out in state land. Was really looking forward to checking on that. I think I talked about in the past. And, uh, yep, go up to it. It's still there, which is good. But, of course, no SD card in it. So, someone found that camera. And I had people on it uh, when I checked it the first week of October. So, someone, at least someone had take the whole camera. But, to me, the camera's so cheap, the SD card was... Uh, <laughs> was what was a value to me for that spot. So maybe it's because there was a big buck on it. Maybe someone else was hunting a deer, who knows? But I think for me, like I've said in the past, like when I go do that, I don't I don't want to hunt around people. So if that's what's gonna happen, I'll just kinda 
jump ship on that area and maybe move on to another one. Um, totally fine. It's just, it is what it is. It happens, but that is the first time I've had something stolen, uh, camera wise on state land. Uh, like I said, it was just the SD card, but you know, uh, so it sat there from, you know, first of October to now and probably had a lot of good Intel on there. It seemed like the scrape it was on had some, you know, could tell like gear we're still using it through the season. Um, you know, there was tracks around all those kind of good things you like to see still. So, but yeah, I think that's just going to abandon ship in that area. Maybe kind of pivot on that spot. I'm not going to give up on that whole section or that whole, you know, body of woods or whatever you may say, however you want to explain it. But I'm going to still kind of focus on the area. Just try to try to kind of backdoor it maybe a different way or whatever may happen. And then, uh, yeah, and then to kind of end this out, we'll just, you know, like I said uh, last week, you know, if anyone you know is wanting to maybe get in the construction game or if you guys are a crew of guys that um, do a lot of, you know, uh, framing, exterior finish siding and those kind of things and maybe you're looking for something more or wanting to do some more work or you maybe want to dip your toes in the uh, the residential custom home thing, uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, email me at uh, nateR7 at gmail.com uh, for RLR Construction. It's uh it's a company that's been my dad. It's my dad's company, and he's been doing this for a long time. And he uh, he works for some really you know really cool projects. So if anyone's looking to maybe change some things up, feel free to reach out to me. Um, and then yeah, I'll get you in contact with him. And hopefully here in the next little bit, I'll I'll rem- remember to set up a separate email address. But right now it's apparently been kind of low on my to do list. I keep forgetting to do it. But yeah, reach out to me. And if you're interested in uh, learning the construction game or like I said, even if you have experience being a carpenter and you want to try that, or uh, like even yeah, full crew of guys that's looking for doing things, maybe you own your own business, um, and you you know want to maybe kind of do some things, feel free to reach out. We can see what can happen. I mean, trying to try to use the our workspace as a community as well as uh, you know you have the hunting community and then you have your work community and try to have a good atmosphere all around and try to find the right fit, and the right kind of people, just to kind of kind of keep doing things and. I mean, construction is no joke. I mean, it's a lot of work, a lot of stress, and you uh, it's definitely a lot nicer with uh, the right group of guys. So, yeah, reach out to me for that, and uh, I think that will kind of wrap this intro up. And thank you guys all for the support and listening to uh, Michigan Wild, and hope you enjoy this, this episode, Brian. Alrighty, welcome to another episode of Michigan Wild. Uh, tonight I have uh, someone that I've heard on lots of podcasts in the past. Uh, has been pretty influential in my uh, my bow hunting journey, I guess, in the past few years because uh, these my first arrows I ever bought myself that were not at a local shop were Day Six arrows, and I have Brian uh, Broderick. Is that, is that how I say it, Broderick? Yep, Broderick. Uh, yep. Here tonight. How's it going? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Uh, you know, I'm new to this podcast thing. I've, you know, part of the Sports and Empire. So I think you've been on some other guys' podcasts in the past. So I appreciate oh, you, uh, you getting, you know, getting back with me and doing this. Uh, I know you're a busy guy and you got, you know, day six gear is you got some, you know, things you're doing in house. And I love that you, uh, you've always had this no BS approach. So I understand <laughs> that you're probably really busy during the day. So doing these kind of things, I know you, 
probably understand it's good for business, but it's also you have probably a thousand other things you'd rather be doing than uh, no, talking. no, so. no. Happy, <laughs> happy to do it. Happy to do it. So no problem. So I let's just kind of quick go through. Um, you know, I because I'm gonna do an intro for this podcast, so I'll probably like talk a little bit about you, like from what I've heard, like on other podcasts. You you went really you went in depth in other podcasts, like how you grew up, you know, you, you're a whitetail yep. guy, like you centered your life around hunting whitetails in Alabama, correct? Yep. That's where you grew yep. up. And then, you know, your approach to doing that, uh, being an ethical hunter and, you know, having a good equipment, knowing your equipment, like all that stuff's great. But I kind of want to like, kind of start this off, like when you started day six and kind of okay. like your philosophy for that. And then we can kind of transition that goes into broadheads and, also, sure. you have another product that's kind of new with a new knife. So I kind of want to yep. go through some of that stuff. No problem. So uh, so day six um, had a very, very weird um, um, genesis, if you will. Uh, <laughs> um, I've always been a heavy arrow guy, always been a cut on contact guy. I'm 50 years old. I've never shot a mechanical in my life. Um, not saying that there's not a place for them. It just hasn't been a place in my life. So, um, there just was not a really good carbon arrow slash component system offered, uh, before we started this that had a higher GPI, higher grains per inch for the arrow and, um, could get, get the overall mass up to where I wanted it, um, it just really wasn't available. You had to buy full metal jackets, which they have their inherent problems. And um, because of the aluminum, it, it, it changes its consistency um, as it's flexed, just like a beer can. But that's what I always shot because it had the higher grains per inch. But there was no good components for the end, and the ends would just mushroom and splinter. And anyway... You know, I, I used to foot my aluminum arrows with bigger diameter aluminum arrows. We would glue those on the outside to keep them from mm -hmm. mushrooming, things like that over the years. So a good friend of mine was a uh, Asiatic uh, water buffalo guide, still is, in Australia. And um, he would come over and hunt with me. And, you know, we were just really good friends. And we were sharing the same woes and sorrows about how we couldn't get exactly what we wanted and so he jumped off and started building arrows in australia and they were super heavy and he tried to do a, a, a more beefy uh component system on the end but it just wasn't that good and so but i loved the shaft so i started getting the shaft from him and then i would have my own components machine and um so when he basically, you know, saw what, um, basically saw what I had, um, he was, you know, his, his response was, man, this is a lot better than what I've got. This is, this is what these arrows need to have. And so, um, long story short, he said, let's do this together. Let's, let's start this company together. And so we started the process of it and I was going to handle the United States. He was going to handle Australia and kind of grow from there. And we got right ready to go on it. And he's like, man, I'm just not going to do this. I've got some other interests. You just take it and go. Well, he's a lot younger than I am. And he had 
less things, uh, less uh, irons in the fire, if you will, that like I had in my business career. So it went from a thing to where we were going to share responsibility to that it was all on me. And um, we thought about it, prayed about it, and and uh, talked with my family and my wife just since, but you really, this is what you need to be doing. You know, you've done construction for 30 years, you know, 25 years, 30 years, you're, you know, been in this, your family's been in this, it's go do something else. So we took the leap and, um, you know, it took off really fast, a lot faster than we thought. And the reason is that we just had, we had, I guess, common wants and needs that a lot of other bow hunters had, and it just wasn't out there. And so it really took off fast and, it, you know, fast forward six years now, there's a lot of products and similar component systems and things very similar to ours. It's it, like even the mainstream bigger companies yep. have come around. And so we're not like the only, um, you know, the only fish in the pond now that makes that type of product. But, but you, you guys had to be one of the first, like, cause I remember when I first heard you talk about arrows and day six, I was like, my hand was up. I was like, me, me, me. Like I'm dealing with these things you're explaining. And yeah. I remember there might've been maybe a couple other things you could have bought, like as an accessory, like you said, but you guys are kind of the right. first to have the whole system. Like when I ordered your arrows online, they showed up to my door with everything I needed. I just epoxied the insert right. system together and I was, they came fletched. Like, I mean, it was like, it was really straightforward. I mean, even epoxy and those outserts in was no big deal for me. And I just remember being just so like, I heard you talk about it and they showed up and then I got to like actually put my own arrow together. It felt like something I'd never done before and went out but and it was shot easy. him in the yard. Oh, yeah. it was so easy. Went out and shot my yeah. yard and it was awesome. Like night and day difference, you know, and I kind of went, I went a little, you know, heavy cause I was, I was the guy that just, I was like, I cannot get in a pass through on a deer, 30 inch draw, 70 some yeah. pounds draw weight. I was struggling. So I was like, I'm getting a 600 grain arrow. Like that was yeah. my, I got full length shafts and I did what I think maybe you had talked about or someone had, like I got them and then I would just shoot a, I'd just shoot it a bear shaft and then I would cut a little bit off until I From got the knock in. Paper. Yep. yep. Knock yep. in. And then once that was it, I knew that's what I needed to do. Ordered them to that length and boom, they showed up and I put them together and man, I just great flying arrow, like just in tough as nails. And yeah, now fast forward, like you said, a few years, people must've been paying attention to day six because you know, there's a lot more, they're servicing a lot more guys in that way. And I, yeah. you know, I'm like, so like what, what I remember you saying one time too, that really always stuck out to me. You're like, you know, great arrow weight is approximately 500 to 550 grains. And you're the first dude I ever heard say that. And now everyone says 500 grains. So it's yeah, definitely, yeah. you have the experience well, to back it up because you've been tinkering with this stuff for a long time, you know, forever. And I yeah. think it forever. And you, and, and then, but also like, you're not a guy that only shoots, you know, one or two deer a year with your bow. I mean, you, you grew up in Alabama, which there's high deer density. I mean, you're and running hogs. arrows through hogs. I mean, you, you had a very target rich environment growing up. So like you had first experience, which it was like the perfect storm. I feel like for day six. It was, I mean, I've got a, you know, kind of an engineering mind and background with what we did in our previous, our other business. And um, so I could kind of see things uh, structurally, if you will, maybe see things in 3d and, it just it, maybe the concept came a little easier to me um, just from witnessing the results that I experienced over the years. Um, and, 
you know, listen, day six, everything that we make and everything that 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 we've done and the success we realize is literally a function of one thing and it's hogs. Um, they're the hardest things in the world to kill with a bow and arrow. Um, you know, their their bone structure, their their hide, their 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 density, their mass of their muscle mass, how dense they are. Their hair is like wire. It is the I've never seen anything dull broadheads like a like hog hair does. So um anyway, long story short, you know, having the opportunity to shoot multiple hogs just about every time you win a field, it really taught me what an arrow and broadhead needed to do. Um and so luckily I was fortunate enough to have those targets available and and had them available in in volume. And so you get a larger sample size of what needs to happen. And um and then when you see the failures and you see them where they repeat, you say, okay, how do you, you know, solve this problem? And mm -hmm. so having a little bit of an engineering background, you can kind of think through and have a really big common sense approach to everything. And so when I go to lighter arrows for five or six years, then my aluminums that I shot out of a bow, it, when we broke 200 feet per second, we were the stuff. Yep. <laughs> and, and everything I shot literally was sticking through the other side in the mud. So there was never a situation where you didn't get a pass through. And then as technology in the hunting industry advanced and things started getting faster and lighter, I started experiencing the not getting the two holes, not getting consistent pass-throughs. Well, you know, you don't have to be a genius to figure out what mm -hmm. was going on and take that information and, you know, put it all together and you've got a baseline and you've got variables and this is what it needs to be to make it work. And then the other thing was is that the hunting industry always treated arrows as disposables, like ammunition. They always mm -hmm. modeled their business after the ammunition industry. And for me, you know, we may take a walk through a swamp in the morning and shoot, you know, eight or 10 hogs in a morning. And if you can't pick them up and wash them and rinse them and reload and go, it gets very expensive, very fast. Yeah. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted to change kind of the mindset of, um, arrows being disposables and being ammunition they shouldn't be they should be reusable yep. um and that's kind of what we changed we made them to where you just almost can't break them i can testify to that i mean i i've shot an arrow i like to shoot inside my house in the winter time uh you know i can get 13 yards in the basement and not necessarily like trying to like pick spots or whatever i'm just getting my form down you know you know sure. one night i'm working on one thing or doing whatever well it was, we had a sunny day. So like I was able to shoot outside and then I think I shot like 50 or 60 yards. Well, then I brought the bow inside like a day later and shot at my 50 yard pin at, you know, 13 yards. And I launched it right into a shelf in my basement, like a two by four, boom, right through it, grabbed the arrow, pulled the arrow out. And I ended up killing a deer with that arrow later that fall. Like that, it well, didn't do nothing to it. You know, like, I mean, it just, it just, it, that, that way that outsert is you guys have, um, and maybe we can kind of touch on why you feel like yours might be a little stronger. But like sure. I've shot arrows and they, they, you know, you shoot an arrow at a squirrel and it, you pull it out of the dirt 
and the thing like you said is just like splintered back like it just shatters it's like it went in dirt like there's no rocks in that so maybe kind of touch on you know highlight like what what you think kind of sets day six apart from like uh maybe i don't you know you know how technically you want to get but is it a is it a sidewall thing is it like because you're very like i've heard you talk like you can get very in depth in this but like is it just like is it because your tolerances are better because it's American made? You know, that's kind of been the thing. Day six is a hundred percent American well, it, it's, you know, or it's, whatever. It's, like what's your kind of thing? It's the sum of all parts for us. So what you see is, is people build these component systems to put on what you normally see as an arrow construction for the shaft. The shafts are very brittle. They're very weak. You know, the carbon is very expensive, so most aero companies are trying to use as little amount of carbon as possible to keep costs down. So with us, we don't look at it that way. So for us, you know, you look at the sidewall thickness of our shafts, they're double what you see on just about everything else. Then we engineered the components to marry to that shaft inside Mm -hmm. and out. Um, So once it's assembled, you have basically a solid monolithic piece at the end. But we're actually using the strength of our carbon shaft because we have strength in our carbon shaft. Mm -hmm. Where most people, you're taking this very durable alloy component and then gluing um, gluing it onto a weak shaft well it's just going to break right behind the the component you know it's it's mm-hmm. i mean it's it's a hinge point i mean it's just like yeah. building like i'm in construction too so you know i do residential stuff and like yeah you have you can have this giant wall and if it is not a continuous line of like point load or like weight distribute right. continue, it will find the path. weakest point a yep, continuous load path that's right yes so i was wondering if that's kind of how your mindset was because like you're yeah. you have this tremendous amount of force that is going into something hard or you know as hard as a pig can be or a whitetail and that load is distributed so well throughout the arrow it, it holds its integrity and i think that's that's probably why i'm going to label this podcast title it like arrow integrity with day six because your whole system is just like it's solid from front to back and it is it, and i mean there's there's some tiny little things that i just don't ever talk about and i don't mm-hmm. i'm not gonna no nope. um, and there's these tiny little things that happen in the in the the machining and production of of aero parts and it's pretty common stuff but these tiny little things make all the difference uh on how the components engage the arrow and we got very lucky to where we weren't in a rush and we could take our time mm-hmm. and we could really test and um uh um so uh we we discovered how these tiny little details made a huge difference with regards to durability and so that's some of the things that we've paid attention to is the micro details not just the macro um you know the other thing is is that what you see when you see an arrow component is most of the air components the collars if you will they're just they call them impact collars or durability collars or whatever, and they slide over the outside of the arrow. That's the last thing that you want to do for a customer on install, number one. But number two, um, you know, the the straightest part of the arrow is the inside of it, not the outside. 
So the inside is like the roll on a roll of paper towels, and then the arrow on the outside, the carbon itself, is like the paper towels rolled around it. Well, you know that that's very inconsistent. So on a kind of a a, a finite microscopic level, you're going to see the variations on the outside of that arrow. So the reason ours are so easy to install, and they always have been, and they've always been very durable and true, is because we orient everything, we index everything off the inside of the arrow. And it glues to the inside, but it also glues to the outside. But what we do is we intentionally leave a small, like two thousandths void between the, the collar and the outside of the arrow so that it doesn't touch. And that way you don't have the oblong or irregular mm-hmm. outside shape pushing it around. So for a guy like you, all you got to do is pull them out of the box, glue them up properly, slide them on, and they're done because done. they're indexing on the straight part, not the outside part that's Love not it. straight and true. But what we do is, is by intentionally leaving that gap, when you fill that void with epoxy, when the epoxy cures, it's a perfect solid monolithic one piece end. That's the difference. And Love it. So most of the components that are offered with arrows are afterthoughts to where we design the arrow and the components and everything collectively it's the sum of all parts and that's kind of what we do and you know we've had a lot of companies pop up and go away that are basically duplicates or they try to replicate what we do um we've never really worried about it we've never really got caught up in the competition if you will because at the end of the day, it's for us, our system is so tried and true, and it's kind of what people are emulating. They have to change something because they, you know, they can't build exactly what we're yes. building, patent reasons. And those are the things that you have to change that <laughs> to get around <laughs> what we do that, that makes it so yep. great. So we don't really worry about it that much. And yep. um and that's why you guys stay true. That's why you guys stay true to who you are because of that. Like you're not chasing something. You're not, I mean, you're not trying to like be the the latest and greatest thing on Instagram or social media. You know, you're not trying to have a big splash. It's like nah. tried and true day six. You know what I mean? Like that's, we don't collab with other companies. Yeah. We don't, we don't attach our, our wagon to any other horse. And Man, you know, we could be 10 times bigger than we are. That's not what day six is about. It's about helping guys. um, It's about helping guys be more successful, ethical bow hunters in spite of the hunting industry. Yeah. And, And that's what we are. We're the industry outsiders. Happy to be it. You know, we're not in the pay to play thing. And, and so, but you know, for us, it's funny you see these trends and fads come and go and it's all cyclical because like the single bevel broadhead everybody's just head over heels over single bevel broadheads right now and i probably shot 500 animals in the 80s and 90s with single bevel broadheads uh, out of both stick bows and compounds mostly hogs you know yeah you know but it's because single bevel broadheads were made in people's garages They didn't have sophisticated equipment to make a double beveled supported edge. They made it with, you know, files and simple equipment. And that's why all the broadheads were single bevel. And 
like when you go to the jungles of South America, every machete you see is single bevels because they're bevel. building them on they're being a, building them on rock. Yep. But it's not <laughs> I love this. So this is this is perfect yeah. because yeah, my dad, not, you know, yeah, you know, my dad was he grew up, like I said, you know, he shot compound instinctively. You know, he's a recurve guy. He, you know, for many years he used just recurve and he's uh he's kind of getting fired up to kind of get a new recurve again this year. And he's pulling all his old bows and we we're talking about arrow setups and uh, broadheads. And I was like, Hey, I'm talking to a guy in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. And we're going to discuss this. And he's like, what's the thing? He's like, and he's been watching videos of single bevels and all this stuff. And yeah. you know, it is the rage. Like that's what you're seeing. He's like, man, I don't understand this. He's like, those things have been out forever. And he's like, forever. Like, he's like, I used to buy, he's like, the, I thought the reason why single bells were so common back in the day was because I, a nobody who doesn't know how to do anything, could sharpen that broadhead. Like it was well, just something easy to do. And he's like, so what? He's like, what do you recommend? So I kind of want to like roll this into like day six has their arrow, and then you can marry that with your Evo broadhead. So like, well, let's kind of like, yeah, well, not just, that. yeah, not just our broadhead. I mean, I just just the 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 thirty thousand foot view of the broadheads. I mean, the well, to your point. Yeah, I'm just a nobody, and everybody and that guy can sharpen a single bevel head. Well, the people building the heads, they were just simple guys and having to build them in their garage. I used to pick up Simmons broadheads, which they weren't single bevel, but I used to pick up Simmons broadheads from Jerry Simmons' garage. You know, so, I mean, the single bevels were very easy to produce. At some point, some guy looked down at him and goes, oh, well, it's got opposing bevels. They're going to rotate. Well, yeah, I hear you. But if that was the case, if you looked at the ratio of bevel to surface area of the broadhead, you've got 5% surface area of a single bevel broadhead is the bevel and 95% is the rest of the body. Mm. So if that 5% could create rotation, you would see an airplane that is 80% fuselage and 20% wing. Yep. But it, that ain't how it works. Nope. <laughs> so, but so it anyway, rotates through bone. It, you know, that's like it does not rotate it, through bone. I know. And so, but that's how the archery industry is, you know, or like the, the outdoor industry. You have these little minute things that's your like key word. And then that is just like, let's beat that dead horse and make well, the money whatever or whatever is, it is. Whatever you know? is new. You know, like yeah. what's the what's the newest thing that we can say, hey, this is the magic bean. This is what you need, and this is why. So for us, I'm an idiot. I'm the worst businessman ever because single bevel broadheads cost literally 30, 40% less to make. They're so much cheaper and easier to make. Like our guy that does our our edge, our edge honing on our blades begs me every phone call to do single bevels. I mean, throwing crazy low prices at what's funny to me is a lot of these companies charge more for the single bevels. Yep. I'm just thinking, good grief, how do you sleep at night? But anyway, even if a single bevel did rotate, which they don't rotate enough to make any difference, but even if they did, it's not what you would want. There's no benefit to a rotating arrow because an arrow doesn't create its own energy. It receives its energy from the bow. Okay, so that's the engine. Mm -hmm. It's just it's Newton's simple laws of physics and energy here. Okay, so simple laws of motion. 
the arrow can't generate its own motion. So the, the bow is its engine. That's what transfers the energy to the arrow. If the arrow is going to rotate like a screw versus a nail, you're a builder. Mm -hmm. It has to tax or rob the arrow of its energy to create rotation. You see what I'm saying? Yes, so sir. So why would you rob the energy that the arrow has that's trying to push its way straight through an animal like a nail versus trying to slow it down and screw it through like a screw? Think about what it takes to drive a nail and think about what it takes. Uh, you have to have an external motor yep, to, to drive a screw, screw and how much torque it takes to do that. So why would you want to do that with an arrow? It makes zero sense. But do not worry. They don't rotate, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but even if it so, did, okay. it makes no dadgum difference. And then, so what are the disadvantages of a single bevel? The only disadvantage, which is a small one, but it is, for me, again, small part a single bevel edge is an unsupported edge, so it's a weak edge. So it is going to dull, fail, and chip way faster than a double bevel supported edge. Anybody that makes blades or anything will tell you that, okay? If there was no difference, why are there no knives out there with single bevel edges on them? Go find one. Nope. Okay. Nope. So... The, the you know that's the way you measure the quality of a blade of any kind is how long it holds its edge. Yep. Single bevels do not hold their edge remotely as long as a double bevel supported edge. So that's the only disadvantage to it. Is it is it fifty percent worse? No. Is it five percent? Probably. But for me, I'm a again some of all parts guy. If I can increase my arrow mass and increase my you know, go to the positive 5% there. If I can reduce my friction by having a larger component on the end of a smaller shaft so you don't have very much sidewall friction as it's passing through because it's going through a larger hole mm -hmm. um, and it's a 5% gain, I'll take that. If my blade, my cut on contact head is going to, with a, with a standard double bevel, is going to retain its edge and stay sharper throughout the entire animal end to end, and it's another 5% advantage. I'll take that. Well, you start adding all this stuff up. You get your bow perfectly tuned. You get perfect arrow flight. And you've just, you know, made a net sum of all parts increase 20, 25, 30% if you do everything right. Yep. Now you're actually moving the needle. And yes, that's, that's the guys that go that deep are the guys that, consistently are successful with their archery equipment. And, and here's the thing, everybody gets the opportunities. Most people have the opportunities. The difference in the guys that have the stories to tell and the guys that have them on their wall is capitalizing on those few opportunities that you mm -hmm. get. And yes, that's sir. the difference in a nutshell. Yep, I'm 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 pumping my fist back here. Like I love it. Like that's <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that I've heard in the past, and that's yeah. what drew me to you and you know your company in the beginning. And I, I've had you know I have arrows with your your broadheads, and that is a that is a deadly system right there. Like I mean, you still got to do your part as the you know the hunter and being adequate with your bow and all those things. But once you take that personal responsibility of pulling your bow back and you're going to try to take a life, 
I like the fact that I, I don't have any doubt in that system. You know, like I like you, like all these things you're talking about. Like I know I'm adequately equipped from a, you know, a weight of the arrow. I have a strong component. I know that my, my bow is going to send that, you know, arrow through where it needs to go. And sure. I did that for many years. And I think people know, if they listen to the podcast, have heard me, you know, talk about this year, I switched arrows up a little bit and that was all on me. I kind of, I wanted to shoot far. I wanted to, you know, try, do two sight tapes. And mm-hmm. I kind of, it. So I right towards the end of the summer going into fall, I was like, man, I'm kind of like struggling. Like I don't, I ran out of time. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to use these new arrows because I'm shooting them really well into foam. Like I'm shooting yeah. great into foam, you know, pounding foam, great long distances, you know, my gaps are way smaller and all these things. And yeah, you know that I, I, uh, I did find from like firsthand real world experience with shooting animals and, you know, different things. It was like, yeah, they, they didn't hold up the same. And I was really like the first time it happened, I was like, maybe that was just a fluke deal. Second time it happened. I was like, Ooh, third, I had three arrows break this year. They all did the exact same thing in circumstances that kind of like surprised me um, because they have outsert on them, you know, they have these different things and, you know, and then uh, I, when, when the arrow failed, I was actually kind of surprised with like what you said, how, like how small the sidewall was, like it was not thick at all. The component itself stayed true. Like, you know, like that didn't break. It was just where it married up to the arrow shoop, snap and splintered, you know? So I, uh, I learned my lesson and I got a, I'm happy. I still have my original set of day six arrows that I've bought. You know, I've bought more than I've bought a few since then. My brother-in-law shoots them. My friend shoots them, you know, got lots of different people using them. They, none of us have had any bad experiences with those arrows. So they're, well, when they're you take, great. When you take what, when you take a lot of arrows that are on the market and you look at them and how they're built, they're built like to quote industry standard where they don't use a lot of material and they're pretty light and they're brittle. Um, when you add the component, a component collar system or whatever to the end of it, it's really more marketing than anything because yeah. all you're doing is putting lipstick on a pig. Um, if it's going to break right behind the component, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, that's what I've, that's what I noticed. So, yeah. And people, people, that's, that's the number one question we get after we get customers are like, man, how do your arrows never break? And everything I've ever had before always breaks. And the the difference is the arrow. It's not any kind of special sauce. We actually put material into our arrows. Uh, now they are a little heavier because of it, because there's more material there. But that's what I wanted. Yep. You know, it's it's you know the industry basically it basically or the archery industry orbits around the bow manufacturers the bow manufacturers are the sun and then everything else around that you know orbits around that so everything takes its cue you know from what it's orbiting around the the bow the mm-hmm. bow manufacturers and so the bow manufacturers they only have a certain few things that they can use as marketing advertising but the number one thing that's the measurable is the speed it's their zero to 60 like the car mm-hmm. manufacturers you know mm-hmm. so that's what they're always trying to push is that speed number and the archery industry that's orbiting around that is taking its cues from that and building everything to accommodate the sun and make sure they keep their speed up because mm. if you take any bow out there which we're you know 
we all shoot different stuff here, but you take the IBO rating for you to actually get that bow to shoot what they say is the speed you pretty much have to dry fire it and you have to shoot a, a, an arrow system so light that it's just basically dry firing the bow well number one that's not how you keep a bow in tune uh number two a loud bow is a recipe for disaster especially on whitetails um so it's just the, the industry itself is just driving you towards basically what the hell you don't need um so for us it's hey look we're hunters we're not target shooters we don't go shoot pack we don't do any of that crap we build our bows and our arrow setups to kill animals very very consistently and very proficiently and you know, there was a guy in here the other day. This is a funny story, so I'll tell you this because we argue all the time. He's a light arrow guy. He go he like takes vacations and goes to the tack events and all that mm -hmm. crap. And so he was in our shop the other day, and Dakota and I that that work here, um, we hunt a lot, <laughs> and so uh, we had all of our we do all our own euros here at the shop. We do do all our own skulls and all, and so we had like the floor over in the corner where our boiling deal is you know antelope and mule deer and elk and white tails and, and bear skulls and <laughs> we had you know all of this stuff laid out and the guy says oh are y'all are you doing that for people and i said no that's just for me and that's dakota and i and that one antelope's my wife and that other antelope is dakota's wife and um he's like holy crap how many years is that and i said that's this year <laughs> he said this year yeah <laughs> He goes, well, how in the world did you guys, you know, do that in a year? And I said, well, there is two of us. I mean, it's not like it's just one person. But I said, but the, here's the difference. When you were at PAC, we were scouting. Yep. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were on what we were hunting opening day. We were on them. We weren't trying to figure it out. We were, yep. we were ready to go. We were in the chips day one on everything we hunted because we scout we shoot our bows every day we shoot our bows a lot but we don't change anything on our bows mm. they're exactly the same if we're going to go shoot a local archery shoot we shoot our hunting setup we don't yep. go to a we don't go to a lighter arrow and change a sight tape so we can have a better score i could give two craps about a score you know so for us in this company it is about getting two holes in animals and getting them consistently and you know we don't relate to a lot of people because the hunting industry as a whole doesn't send people that way and they don't send that message that's yeah. not their messaging at all and like you said like i've talked about you know i've been doing this i've been a serious whitetail guy for a long time like i've always wanted to like i'm the guy that like you know, I've traveled out of state for like 10 or 12 years with my dad. Like I've hunted all these Midwest states, you know, being in Michigan. And um, I was like, when I was young, I was like, how come so-and-so and all these other people are shooting these really nice bucks? Like Michigan is supposedly a state that doesn't have any of them. That kind of drove me. I was like, I want to be that guy. Like if they can do it, I can do it kind of a thing. Yeah. But like you don't really understand like how much effort there is that goes into finding a mature whitetail, which I, I would assume you'd have a similar approach because you're down in Alabama. But uh, growing yeah. up, I mean, yeah, we have a lot of deer, but find those like 
the amount of driving around, the amount of like just walking around the woods, the constantly changing, the constant like year to year evolving is such a journey. Like I don't got time to really do much else for a hobby, you know, like that's kind of my thing. Like, you know, you dedicate that much time and, but then, but gear and arrow setups and being able to shoot foam targets really far and do all that, something you can control. And like, I think guys like that because they can kind of like say, oh, I'm going to, you know, do my thing and do this. And it, it feels good because they can go have success out on the attack event or on a, a, a target. And that's kind of where I was going. I was like, you know what, this, there's a attack event not very far away from me and I've never been. And I was like, you know, what? I'd kind of like to go that far. Then you start hearing like how far these targets are. And I'm like, man, I can't, my sight tape doesn't even come close to going that far because I shoot a really heavy arrow. So then I was like, you know what, I want to get a lighter arrow so I can maybe do that one day. And I start the amount of time and effort and energy I put into trying to get my bow to be able to shoot 80 to 100 yards did absolutely nothing for me to help kill a whitetail this year. Like it was just waste of time. And in a nutshell, what you're doing, what you're describing is what 90% of people that are getting into bow hunting or in bow hunting do. They're placing all of their focus and efforts on being really good at practicing. Mm -hmm. And I don't like practice. I like game time. Yes, I like sir. to win. You know, <laughs> I, I could give a crap growing up if you want a scrimmage. I wanted to win the game on Saturday night. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. And so if that deer walks in, if that deer walks in, a target buck, first deer, doe, whatever, and you make that decision that you're going to pull back and kill that deer, you got to kill that deer. You know, and, that's it. And that it. is a really tough thing. If you haven't, like, it, it's hard for me. I mean, I've shot, I have not shot obviously as many animals as you have my bow, but I've shot a good amount, you know, some really nice deer every year. I seem to run an arrow through something, you know, and fi find myself like still, that's a pretty big, like hurdle there almost. Like when you finally decide to pull your bow back on that first doe of the year, it's like, oh, yeah. okay, you gotta like, it's nothing like shooting a target in your backyard, like at all, not even close. So like, it's such a, that's such a hard thing. And I don't think really many people like, discuss like that aspect of hunting like how hard it is to be in that moment and do that well i i do because what i try to talk everybody off the ledge on on a daily basis at day six is that <laughs> listen i understand what you're trying to do and i understand that you want to be able to shoot the far targets attack here's the problem those setups lighter faster setups are not forgiving and you can shoot great and you can be a incredible backyard archer and an incredible target archer but when you're in the field in real world hunting situations and you're standing on the side of a mountain trying to shoot a bull at 52 yards, you know, 45 degrees uphill, you cannot execute that form shot that you're shooting in your backyard. You're going to cork your bow. You're going to have string twist, you know. I mean, you're not going to have that perfect shot. And the light, fast setups do not allow for that. Yep. They're not forgiving enough for you to still be accurate and have great arrow flight to get maximum penetration. So you have to set your bow up for game time. You don't set it up for practice. You set it up for game time. I, I, I spent a little time in my, in a former Man, you're life. You're calling me out. You're calling me yeah, out right now. And I love you it. Like, that's, what, that's what happened to me this year, you know, like, and yeah. I know I screwed up on it and, even hearing you talk about this, I'm just going through playing the summer through my head. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I got a new bow. So of course, you know, new arrows want to shoot far, like all these things. And I just lost sight of 
what's important to me as a bow hunter and that is game time killing that animal doing those things and like you said the, the heavier arrow the forgiveness what a great point like i almost forgot i knew that i've heard that and you're right like i mean you're in a tree, you know, in a tree, and you get a lean, or you're on the ground. I shot there on my toes, like, hooked around the tree, yeah. leaning out, shooting behind the tree, like hooking the tree with my toe to keep from falling out. <laughs> you can't execute a form shot that way. But you know, like in a previous life, I, I used to drive a race car a little bit, and <laughs> and so you practice a lot, right? And so we would literally practice. Um, we would, you know, the guys that would set the cars up, they would set them up just as wonky as hell to where you could barely keep it out of the wall. And you would have to fight that thing, you know, around the track to where you could, you know, barely make a decent lap, barely keep from wrecking the thing. But it, it what it did is, is it made you stop and focus on the finite details of actually hitting your spots Breaking properly, turning, accelerating, everything had to be perfect. But then when they set the car up right, it was you were doing everything perfect. And then you set it up with the right car and you were fast and you were smooth. It's the same thing with a bow. You have to focus on when you're shooting, you've got to focus on having your grip hurt. The grip is the number one killer for most guys. But the grip, it's got to be perfect, but it's got to be consistent. You know, you've got to practice on, the, you know, squeezing the trigger or punching it, whichever you do, but it's got to be consistent. You've got to focus on those finite details to get it perfect. So when you're in a game time situation and everything's right, you can still make a few mistakes and still win. Yep. That's the difference. But basically... <laughs> When you're shooting these light, fast, target-oriented tor- target, uh, setups, it's basically equivalent of driving a car around a track that's out of shape. And you're going to then take it and try to win a race with it and hunt with it. It does not translate. It does not compute. No. If you're going to go shoot pack, that's great. Go shoot it. If you can't shoot the ADR target, who gives a crap? Yeah. If you shot everything 70 and in and you're shooting 10s, that is your hunting ranges. That's your mine's way closer than that. But you know, yeah. that is that you're practicing for, for hunting situations. Yep. And look, if you want to shoot at animals far, you know, 80, 90, 100 yards, go ahead. That's fine. It, you know, do what you want to do. It's not for me. Um, you know, that's gonna that's gonna put people in a situation to where they can't um they're not going to be able to differentiate differentiate between an ethical shot and an unethical shot. Yeah, and and that's kind of where we draw the line. So, again, what we're trying to do is set guys up to be consistent, successful, ethical bow hunters. Get two holes and do it. You know, every time you have an opportunity, to where you go from the guy that has the great almost stories to the guy that has a wall full <laughs> of stuff. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So well, that's, hey, I, that's, uh, that's our ethos, you know. I think anyone who's listening to this understands, you know, the the stance of day six, and I, like I said, I love the no BS approach. I like how you guys are kind of against the grain in some things, and um, I know you have to get going tonight, but I do want to you know. I'm sorry, no, yeah. that's totally fine. Like I said, I this is this little, I mean, this right here. Like I said, I just feel like you're just like 
you're pointing, you're punching me in the chest, you know, and I love that. It's kind of a wake up call for me and reaffirms that what I want to do going forward. But you know, anyone who's listening to this, I mean, go to day six gear.com, right? I believe that's, that's your guys' website. Yep. I mean, yep. you can look at everything you got going on there. So it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a great website. Like I've never had any issues going through it. I mean, there's lots of options and you guys have great customer service. So like you, I mean, you just said you talk to people on a daily basis. Um, so yes. like you can, you can do that. And, you know, you got a broadhead to, ma- to marry up to this arrow, you know, system that you guys have. And then maybe to kind of finish this podcast out, something I've seen that you, you know, you, uh, you're not a very big uh, social media guy, but you did make a post about this new knife you guys came out with. So I think Correct. kind of to like come out to kind of end this podcast where you got to get going. Why don't you kind of touch on your knife a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, for me, uh, I, I was really crazy about the, um, uh, I was, you know, really into the um hang, hang on one second i'm sorry no, good y'all want to go in there okay i'm sorry give me one second no you're fine yeah so um so anyway when we when we uh when the replaceable blade knives came out i was over the moon because growing up in the south you know when you're shooting a lot of whitetails every year and you're doing doe management and then you've got hogs you spend a lot of time on a knife and my western hunting as well i struggled so much working up an elk because a knife would not last through one half of an elk and so you know for me the replaceable blade knives were like i thought this is going to be the greatest thing ever even back then, like I, I shot my first elk out west on my own, you know, by myself on public land in 1991. So it was quite a journey and quite an accomplishment coming from Alabama because this is pre-internet, pre, you know, yeah. pre-GPS. I mean, this is nothing. It, it was all snail mail, mailed in your check, the whole thing. <laughs> I was Perhaps. one. Yeah. I was one years old. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, long story short, back then I was taking box blades just box knives because I could replace the the razor knives there. And I was using that strictly for working through hide um, because the hide is where you lose your edge on an animal. It's not on meat. It's on hide. Yep. So anyway, long story short, that's what I was doing. And it's just was a terrible system. It was changing those blades in and out was a nightmare. And then you got to deal with those blades. If you're a responsible outdoorsman, most people bury them right there. And then when, so when the replaceable blade knives came out, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the answer. It was not the answer. The blades are so flimsy and so dangerous that it was like, you don't want to be four miles back by yourself working up an L with a replaceable blade knife. You're going to cutting yourself wide open. It, it just, it never worked. So for the me, buttons, I just, the button's right there. The bu- So like if you're working on an animal, you can easily hit that button or something crazy can happen. That thing's going to fold oh, they on just you. Break. Like, yeah. And they break like, yeah, I, I carry one as an everyday knife because like you said, if I want to cut open bags or whatever, construct sure. a site with my box, you know, my normal utility knife and then that, but yeah, like cutting a deer up, not a fun thing. Like, you know, like, you know, deboning. So I can't imagine what it's like with an elk. So. Yeah. Well, for me, what I started doing is just carrying two knives. And mm-hmm. then I got, you know, I got into the different types of knives, tool steels, what's going to hold the best, 
you know, did my best to educate myself on metallurgy so I could understand why some knives were good, why they weren't. But again, as you get older, ounces are pain. I mean, everything <laughs> that you can cut, you know, is 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 critical. Um, and so for me, carrying two knives was a pain in the ding ding. I just didn't want to do it. And so I started looking for higher quality, better knives. I started using higher quality, better knives, but you still could not get through an elk with one knife. You see, by the time you got to the other half and rolled him, you're working with a dull knife. It's a nightmare. The other thing is, is that like when we're doing our Alabama stuff, you know, I may be in the skin and shed working on six, eight, 10 deer at a time. So you don't want to have to sit down and sharpen a knife because the problem is, is with the high grade knife steels, you have to go through the entire process to resharpen them. You can't just quote, mm -hmm. touch them up. You have to bring a burr back up and resharpen them, but that's how they hold their edge so well is because they're so hard. Yep. So for me, I've always wanted to have this knife that we designed, the Dragonfly. It's been my dream. And I thought, well, somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to do it. It's so simple. Somebody's going to do it. Nobody did it. So I was talking with the guys at Crucible Industries. That's who we get all of our um, blade steel from um, for the broadheads. And I said, hey, guys, they had come out with Magna Cut, which is now the holy grail of knife steel, tool, st tool steels. And I said, I want to know who makes a knife with Magna Cut because that's what I want to use for my field knife. Um, I don't really care about the size and everything. I'll find, I'll sort through them and find what I want. I just want to know who's using it. So I found some Magna Cut knives and started using those. And they definitely did substantially better, but you still couldn't get through an entire elk with one knife. And so I said, okay, nobody's going to do this. Hence the dragonfly. The dragonfly. And it's basically just two blades it's a double end it's got a blade on both ends but it has you know indexing um uh recesses or holes or bores if you will so when you put the carbon fiber handle over it it encapsulates the other blade so if you look at our dragonfly it looks like just a regular knife until you see it with the scale pulled off and realize it's actually two and then we did the hardware out of titanium everything's super light nice and but we did it with our hardware was called captured and the okay. captured um, hardware basically means that the screw can't fall out in the field. Mm. You unscrew it so you can pull the, the scale off and then the heart, the, the screw stays attached to yep. the scale. So we tried to think everything through. Sweet. And then, yeah. And then, so like, we're like, okay, well, how are we going to include an Allen? Cause I wanted to use an Allen cause that's what all archers have. But we're thinking, man, well, we don't want a guy to have to carry an Allen's wrench to, you know, a hex key or whatever you want to call it to be able to change the blade over. So what we did was, well, heck, if we're going to, if it's got a sheath included, let's just embed an Allen key in the sheath. So you're always going to have your sheath with your knife. And that basically is your, your tool to change the blade out. Perfect. Here, this is what it is in a nutshell, bud. Day six is simply a function of things I want, and we're building extra for others to buy. 
And that's really Love it. what it is. Love that's it. So well, that's going to be a birthday present. I got a birthday coming up in May, and I've already yeah. told myself, like, I'm buying that knife going into this fall because I've seen it a couple times, and I you saw you posted something about it, and I looked into it a little more, and I was like, man, that – because I have, like, a nice – like, I don't know how nice it is compared to, like, the steel, but, you know, Benchmade. Yeah. That was kind of like sure. a knife that everyone, like, that's knows. That's what I got in my pocket. Yeah, yeah, like that's a great knife, and yeah, it does hold its edge really well. They but use it, Crucible Industry Steel. Yep. And they use S35V, which is what we make our Evo broadheads out of. Yep, great. So that's the same blade material as Benchmade uses on their high-end knives from the same company. Yep, so, and then, but with the point you're making, like, like you know, we, we're a big hunting family. We shoot a bunch of deer in gun season. There's a lot of times there's more than one deer, you know, coming back yeah. and getting taken care of. And when my bench nut main knife has went through a fall, by the time gun season rolls around, there's usually a couple deer I've killed or whatever, yep. and I've used it, and it's like, haven't sharpened it. Once that thing's dull, you're like, oh, man. Like, yeah, you have to spend some time to get it back to being really good. And if That's I can it. just do what you have and flip that thing over, I mean, I could probably do a whole season of whitetail with that. And well, then be fine. It depends you on know? the number, of course. But Yeah, yeah like, I don't shoot could. as many as you do, but, you know, like, for a handful of deer that we go through a year, you know, deboning yep. and doing that, I, I can – I and just the thought of that is like worth it to me. Like, dude, this is sweet. And then when I feel like, you know, off season right now, and it's like hunting season's done, I can come down to my little room here and sharp my yep. broadhead, sharp my knife. You know, kind of get in just like the sharpening mode. I love yep. it. So I think it's a me great too, way to man. end the episode, man. I appreciate it. And uh, sounds like great. I said, like I said, I, I this is kind of like a a really cool podcast to get to sit down and chit chat with you. And I love hearing no your problem. approach, and it's awesome. So. Well, thanks uh, thank again, man. I really enjoyed it. Yes. Well, hey, good luck uh, with whatever you got going on the rest of this uh, year with uh, you kind of talked about some business stuff you're changing and, um, yeah. you know, bringing more, you know, I know you've done some moving and stuff in the past few years. So, I mean, it's pretty cool to hear that's all coming. And I'm, yeah. I'm a little jealous that you get to Wyoming. You know, I think that's where you said you're from, right, Wyoming? That's it. Well, that's yeah, where we are now. Yeah, we moved out here two years ago. <laughs> Dude, I went on a spring black bear hunt there this year up by the Gray River area. Yeah. And it is, oh gosh, Wyoming's so pretty. Like, I just it's was the like, best, man. I didn't want to come But it's home. closed. It's closed. Nobody else can come. They closed Yeah, you, it, no man. more residents. Yep, you're here at max no. capacity. <laughs> no, we're, we're, hey. we're, we, we took all the materials that they had left over for Trump's border wall that they wouldn't let him build, and we moved it up here. We've surrounded <laughs> Wyoming. Mostly on the west side, and um, yep. so there's no entry. So uh, zero entry. I love it. I love yeah, it. Well, hey, sorry. thank you very much. Have a good night. Appreciate it. All right, you too, buddy. <laughs> Bye, Brian. See you later. Thank you. Bye.